Great, thanks so much, Paul. Thanks, Calvin, for leading us in our worship um, just before that. So you may have picked up that we're following the book of Esther uh, in our evening services on Sundays. Um, And it, it occurs to me that if ever there was a book of the Bible that would suit itself to being serialized as a, as a BBC drama. Esther is it, really. Each chapter seems to end in some kind of cliffhanger. And um, in one sense, it's a little bit sad that most of us know how the story pans out at the end. Because if we didn't, if all we knew kind of week by week was the bit that we got up to, um, I think we'd feel again some of the tension in this incredibly uh, exciting story. But if you've missed uh, where we've got to so far, let me give you a very brief resume. So the year is around 480 BC. We've met four principal characters. We've met Xerxes I, who is a cruel and volatile king in Persia with extraordinary power to do whatever he likes. We've met Esther, his queen. Um, We know that she is a Jew, but her nationality is unknown probably to the king and certainly to our third character, Haman and Agagite, who were traditional enemies of the Jews. He has become a powerful figure in the Persian court, and he is incensed that Mordecai's cousin, uh, that Mordecai, Esther's cousin, won't kneel down or pay Haman honour. So we've got this really tense interaction of individuals um, bubbling away. And Haman issues this decree, which is really over the top in its viciousness, I think, to not just kill, but to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. There's no mercy in that at all, is there? Here is a man who, is, who has got a big chip, more like a huge potato on his shoulder. Um, He's not a happy bunny. So this decree is issued in King Xerxes' name. It's sealed with his ring. It's dispatched to every corner of the Persian kingdom. And at the end of chapter three, we are left with the scene of the king and Haman spending a quiet evening in with a bottle of Persia's finest while the city of Susa, where the king is in residence, is left reeling in astonishment at this declaration. And throughout every one of the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, Jews are mourning with fasting, weeping, and wailing, except one because in her privileged and sheltered existence, Queen Esther has no idea what is going on. Why has her cousin Mordecai ripped his clothes? Why has he put on sackcloth and ashes? Why is he wandering around wailing loudly and bitterly? She has no idea. 
Her entourage has no idea. So she asks one of the king's eunuchs, Hathak, to find out, and it's through that intermediary that we and she discovers Haman's sadistic plot. I've never really thought about Hathak before, um, before preparing for tonight, but in reflecting on the role he played, I think he stands out as someone who was trustworthy and impeccably discreet. Just think for a moment. So he's trusted with personal information about the relationship between the king and the queen. She hasn't seen the king for a month. He's trusted with the knowledge that she is a Jew, information that puts her life at risk. And he is trusted with those famous words to Esther on Mordecai's behalf, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, it's possible to find fault with every character in the book of Esther, I think, with this one exception, Hathak, who stands out to me as a kind of behind the scenes, but incredibly humble, loyal, discreet, honest, dependable servant of God. So maybe that's just a little nugget to take away from tonight. It's certainly something that I've been thinking about. That here is this behind-the-scenes man who models what humble, discreet service looks like. But of course, he is not the main thing about Esther 4 by any means. Esther 4 is about a woman who is caught between a rock and a hard place and how she chooses her identity in that precious situation. Now, I wonder if anyone can complete this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. Whether you have heard it or not, you might be able to guess how it finishes. Eleanor Roosevelt, former First Lady of the United States, said, a woman is like a tea bag. Can anyone imagine what the punchline might be? You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in hot water. Well, I don't know whether you like that quote or not, but there is a truth in that, that you find out what someone is like when you put that person in a pressure situation. And this is exactly where we find Esther in this chapter. She is put in a place of extreme pressure between a rock and a hard place. So the rock is going to the king because the king hasn't called her for 30 days. And the rule is that if you go to the king and he hasn't asked for you to come, that unless he decides in his mercy to extend to you the, the royal scepter, then your life is forfeit. So she's not gonna choose that very easily, is she? But not going to the king is also a hard place, as uh, Mordecai, Mordecai suggests. Not even the seclusion of the palace grounds will protect Esther once Haman's decree starts to be enacted. The truth will come out. So it looks as if Esther is facing the strong possibility of death to the left or to the right, a rock and a hard place. 
But it's not just the threats to her life. These are choices that will define who she is going to be for the rest of her life. You know, she's the only person in the book with two names. We have her uh, original Hebrew name in chapter two, Hadassah. And we have the name by which she is most commonly known to us, Esther. And I think there's something in this chapter going on which is about who she is going to choose to be. So is she going to identify with the Jews, her people in some way, and take up their cause with the king? However risky that might be, is she going to use her place, her responsibility, and with diplomacy and skill, take up the cause of her people? In other words, irrespective of what she's called, is she going to be Hadassah? Is that, is that how she's going to identify herself? In effect, is she going to say, this is who I am. These people are my people. If they die, I die. That's one choice. That's a rock. And then the hard place is, is she going to hide behind her role as the queen of Persia? Be silent about the plight of the Jews. Be Esther in name and character to live as a pagan amongst pagans, not revealing her origins, not letting on who she really is, just going with the flow and possibly witnessing the entire destruction of her nation, her race. Tricky. Tricky decision that she is facing. Who is she going to be? Who is she? Tony Campolo said, there's no such thing as a self waiting to be found. Quite the contrary. The self is something waiting to be created. And there is only one way to create a self. There is only one way to create an identity. And that, friends, is through commitment. So the question hanging over this chapter is will Esther commit? Which way will she go? Is she gonna commit and take a risk on behalf of her people or will she hide away and just hope it's all going to pan out in the end? Mordecai is confident that God will not completely abandon his people. He doesn't believe the fate of the Jews lies in Esther's hands. He says, verse 14, look, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. He is confident that God is going to intervene. But he puts it to Esther that maybe she has reached her royal position for just this moment. He puts it to Esther that this could be her moment, her defining moment. Um, I was reminded of a bit of Shakespeare. There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. There is a tide, there is a moment. Is this Esther's moment? Is the question the chapter is asking. 
And there's something that's really interesting going on because there's a phrase used in this chapter that is only used in one other part of the Bible. It appears in verse 3. When the news of Haman's edict gets out that the Jews are to be annihilated, we read that there was great mourning among the Jews, and here's the phrase, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Now, those individual words are used from time to time in other places of the Bible, but together in no other place than Joel chapter 2. The context of Joel chapter 2 is that God's people are facing destruction. They are facing annihilation. And God sends his prophet to them with these words. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. There it is, that's the phrase. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? That little phrase that appears in Esther, who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. And it seems to commentators, and I agree with them, that it's more than a coincidence that this little phrase, fasting and weeping and mourning, is followed by those two words, who knows? Mordecai is deliberately echoing Joel. Just think for a moment about the the parallels. In Joel's time, the Jewish nation was facing what appeared to them to be unavoidable catastrophe. In Esther's time, the people are facing what appears to be unavoidable catastrophe. In Joel's time, God tells them to fast and to weep and to mourn. In Esther's time, that's what they do. In Joel's time, the prophet poses the question, who knows the disaster might still be averted? And in Esther's time, Mordecai Mordecai poses the question, who knows? You, Esther, might be the one who causes this disaster to be averted. Is this Esther's moment? Robert McKee is a story writer and with some insight into human nature. He says that true character is revealed in the choices a human being makes under pressure. The greater the pressure, the deeper the revelation, the truer the choice to the character's essential nature. It's like if you can imagine in your mind um, like a power hose, which is just clearing the mud off some artifact until what's beneath all of that encrusted mud comes to the surface and you can see it for what it really is. That's what's going on with Esther in this chapter. She's under pressure and we're about to see who she really is. But it's going to take great courage. It does take her great courage. I see four, just very briefly, four aspects to this courage which distinguish the decision that she makes from some kind of, you know, reckless, oh, whatever, let's, you know, let's just take a jump and see what pans out kind of decision. She makes a courageous choice. Firstly, it's an eyes-open courage. There is real risk to her life here. She says, if I perish, I perish. She's under no illusion as to what the consequences might be of going to the king. 
Secondly, it's a humble courage. She doesn't use her position just to protect herself. She is willing to sacrifice herself for the sake of her people. It's a far-reaching courage. She doesn't know it yet, but she will be the reason for the salvation of thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. And finally, it's a defining courage. From this point onwards, once we get to the end of the story, she will be known as the one who put her life on the line for her nation. And as we'll see as we get to the very end, that will be celebrated year after year after year afterwards, and still is by the Jewish people today. And I'm reminded you may be too of someone else who found themselves between a rock and a hard place, someone else whose moment had come, someone else who made a courageous choice which had all of the characteristics of Esther's courage and more. Because as he approached the time of his crucifixion, Jesus said, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Just think for a moment about the choice that Jesus made. Like Esther, who is under no illusion about the physical and spiritual suffering he was facing, he was under no illusion about what was at stake. He went into it with an eyes open, humble courage, leaving behind the glory of heaven to serve humanity. And that became his defining choice. Because of his choice, we know him as the savior of the world. And of course, the consequence of his choice was not the salvation of, of thousands and thousands, but of millions and millions. And not just for a lifetime, but for eternity. So I see in this chapter, I see Esther doing two things for us. Firstly, she's taking us back to Jesus and reminding us of his defining moment and his courageous choice to become the savior of the world. She's taking us back. But then she's also taking us forward to the present and our own defining moments. Let's spend a little while just thinking about what they might be. So one, one writer on Esther states that every one of us faces defining moments in our own lives, and then she goes, goes on to say that the most fundamental of them comes when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and decide how to respond to it. So Jesus left the glory of heaven and came to earth to die for our sins, to take the punishment for your sin and mine. And if we have heard that and understood it, then there is a defining moment for us. Will we respond to that knowledge by committing our lives to Christ and in gratitude, asking for his forgiveness, seek to follow him and to serve him for the rest of our lives.
that is the most defining moment we will ever face. And many of us have faced that moment. Maybe some of us are facing that moment this evening. We have a choice to make. If we have understood what Jesus Christ has done for us, then we are at a point of decision. What's our choice going to be? And then following that one fundamental defining moment are those daily moments of decision, choosing the self-denying way of the cross and identification with the people of God rather than just kind of going with the flow. Going back to Eleanor Roosevelt and a different quote, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words, it's expressed in the choices we make in the long run. We shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die and the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. So all of us in this coming week will be faced with small moments of choice. And whether we go to the left or the right will shape the people that we become. These are defining moments for us in their own small way. And then maybe for a few of us, there is a seriously big defining moment around the corner. Going from one historical political figure to another, this time Winston Churchill, to every man there comes a time in his life, that special moment when he is figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing, unique to him and fitted to his talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds him unprepared or unqualified for the work that could be his finest hour. So the Lord taps Esther on the shoulder in this chapter. And perhaps he's touching or about to touch one of us on the shoulder and we are facing a defining moment Maybe we don't know it yet, maybe we do. There's a big choice to make. Which way are we going to go? To the left or to the right? I want to close with a painting by Lucy Page. Um, this was sent through to the church office a few weeks ago now, after the first couple of messages in the Esther series. But it takes its cue from today's chapter, chapter 4 and verse 14. The best known and most loved phrase in the whole book, and who knows but you have come to your royal position, for, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So just for the sake of those who are not listening to this message in real time, or looking at the image which is on, going to be on the website shortly, then let me describe it to you. So the image is of a watch face hanging from a chain against a pastel background and the hands of the watch point to 4.14.
Esther 4.14. This is the defining moment in Esther's life. Then beneath the watch, in the background, there's a branch, branch to which the chrysalis of a butterfly is attached. Did you know that to get out of its chrysalis, the butterfly has to struggle, and without that struggle, it's, it will not make it through life. If you, if you let, a, if you let a, a butterfly out of its chrysalis thinking you're doing them a favor, actually you're not. You're signing its death warrant. It's in the struggle that it develops the strength for its life as a butterfly. Well, that's just nature's way for the butterfly. For us, there is a choice to be made, a courageous choice. And then lastly, resting on the edge of the watch is a monarch butterfly. So in our chapter, the queen is who she is, but will she be more than that? Who does she really want to be? Who will she identify with? In this defining moment, she makes her courageous choice and becomes much more than just an accessory to the king of Persia. She becomes someone in her own right who makes a significant difference. So the question I want to ask you and the question I ask myself this evening is, what about you? What about you? What defining moments are you going to face this coming week, this coming month? And are you going to make courageous choices when those moments come round? And who are you becoming by the choices that you are making? Those daily choices, those small choices, all those choices when faced with the bigger issues of life. And who do you want to become? Who are you becoming by your choices? But who do you want to become? Who does the Lord want you to become? So what I'm going to suggest is that we turn that into prayer. If, if you're able to do so, I'm going to ask Calvin and the band to, to come up. And I'm going to suggest that we pray in three possible ways in response to, to God's word here. So one is, is that maybe for someone here this evening, it is, it is a, a kind of first time choice to follow Christ. You've understood what God has done for you in Jesus, but you've not yet made that step to commit your life to Christ. So maybe that tonight is your defining moment. So there's an opportunity to respond with that. Or maybe you're not facing to your knowledge any kind of huge choices, but we all face daily choices and you want courage to respond to God at those moments, to take the right way, however difficult that way might be. So we can pray into that. Or maybe you're facing or are about to face a big choice a defining moment in your life. And it's not an easy choice, but you want courage to do what is right. Three possible ways to respond. 
um, you may have another way that the Lord has laid on your heart for you as well. Let's not rule that out by any means. But those are three ways we might respond to God's word tonight. So I'm going to ask the band to, to start playing. Why don't, we, why don't we stand? And then just for a couple of minutes, in whatever way is appropriate to you, if, if this is helpful to you, um, I invite you to respond to what God has said to you this evening. Maybe just um, place your hands in front of you in a way that symbolizes that you want to respond to God and receive from God. So if it's that first choice for you this evening, if you've heard the gospel of Christ but haven't responded yet, but want to tonight, then this is your moment to do so. If that's you, then pray for God to forgive you and for his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you and believe that he will answer that prayer. Maybe you're not facing anything particularly big at the moment. But as a follower of Jesus, you know that in the coming weeks and months, you will face choices, small choices, that will shape your character, define who you are and who you want to be. So if that's you, then pray for courage to do what is right in the days that come to choose well however difficult that choice might be and then there may be one or two who are facing big choices or who are about to face big choices defining moments decisions that will potentially affect the rest of your life family and your loved ones again pray that God will give you courage to do what is right insight to know what is right and courage to do it and as we sung earlier God by his spirit will give us the strength in that situation us the strength to follow through on our choice.